Hello, and welcome to Native Awakenings. Here at Native Awakenings, we have a wonderful guest. Rebecca has joined us today. Rebecca is a business owner. She is a life coach, an all-around amazing human being. I really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with Rebecca. She surprised me a lot within this, and I feel like you all will be surprised as well. She carries such wisdom within her and such a curiosity that has inspired her to really excavate and dig within her psyche. Today, we're going to share with you what she's found. Thank you so much for joining and listening. This is Rebecca, escaping the cult and embracing the way. So before we were talking about hanging around people that raise our vibration or rather lower our vibration, I know that there's a balance there of it's difficult to always be around people that empower and uplift us. But within your own personal existence, how are you going about hanging around the people that you hang around? Is it a primarily positive place or... Yeah, definitely positive. And I try to make it as the most positive I can without, you know, you can't ever control people in your life. But I feel like even with growing up, I was around negative people all the time criticizing me. So when I transitioned out of that life, it was very important to me to not only be the positive impact for other people, but also, and this is a learning experience along the way, but really expecting positivity back from people, especially if it's really important, it's a high value to you. If it's not a high value, that's fine. You can associate with whoever you want. But for me, it was really important to be around really optimistic, maybe positive, or people who, if, even if they weren't that, wanted personal growth in their life and were open to change. Mm. You mentioned that you were criticized a lot when you were younger. Do you mind sharing what was criticized? What have you been working on from that time? Yeah, a lot was criticized. I felt if I couldn't be a certain way that I was expected to be, then I essentially was a failure in the areas of my life. Maybe they wanted me to be a fit in a certain mold and if I didn't follow what they expected that mold to be, then I was criticized because of it. So I would have been looked at in my family as the black sheep of uh, everyone. And I grew up with over 20 people. So that was a Whoa. lot. Yeah. Whoa. You grew so, up with over 20 people? Yeah. Oh, so my family. Wow. So I grew up in the South. And so we all lived together in the same home, under the same roof. And I lived with a lot of cousins. So a uh. lot of them is immediate family plus cousins. Okay. So Yeah. Everyone had their own expectation is like almost, I would say, in a way, I grew up under a cult-like environment. Oh, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> there was this, if I could describe it, there's spiritual expectations, but there's also a spiritual hierarchy where one person makes the spiritual decisions and then maybe other people agree with that one decision or maybe they could state their own opinions, but then it has to correlate with the head person who makes the decisions. So I was unfortunately one of the families that were on the lower end of our 
pyramid, I guess I could call it, oh. of you weren't as spiritually advanced. So because you weren't spiritually advanced, then you would have or not have certain privileges or ways of life that maybe the other people had opportunities to have. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> so, wow. So you grew up with over 20 people. Within these 20 people, there was a hierarchy of spirituality and you had to meet a certain expectation for you to get certain privileges or yeah if you maybe were following your typical spiritual path of we didn't go to church or anything like that so it was never externally impacted by other church areas it was just creating a church in our own environment mm -hmm. and so those came with certain things that every christian would want to do if you're familiar with christianity at all then as long as you follow those parameters you were considered good but not even only that i think a lot of it was impacted based on how you interacted with your family. So I felt mm. like communication was a significant issue and why it's so important to me now to have great communication skills is because our family didn't know how to communicate. They were so driven by their own vision of what they thought was right. They couldn't see anyone else's opinion, even if their opinion was valid, because this isn't a right or wrong scenario. It's a how do you process information? How do you see, view the world? And how are you impacted by the people and the words that are spoken to you? Wow. You grew up in that environment, which sounds really, really tough. Well, how did you cope through that you were obviously judged and criticized for, so what were you not doing right? Were you not, you said you grew up in a primarily Christian household. Mm -hmm. yep. So were you not pure enough? Were you not, you didn't communicate to God or spirit well enough or what was? That's a really good question because I don't really feel it was about a certain thing that you did wrong. If I look back in my childhood, and I would say even if I grew up in this, this semicolon, it might sound terrible and it could be interpreted that way. I still had a really nice childhood. I loved my childhood. It was just you were always questioning self of your decisions of what you believed was right. So things that I did wrong was, again, back to that communication of you said the wrong thing or maybe you didn't react in a certain way. So maybe you didn't respect your elders. So that would be one. Mm. So if you maybe talked back, which in my form of communication, I want to understand and I want to learn, but I wasn't given that opportunity because every time I wanted to learn or ask questions or ask why, it was shot down being more of interpreted as back talk and we don't back talk. Or uh. if you wanted to be different and maybe the norm, then that was looked upon and judged on. Like for instance, I think at one point I was younger, we were all sitting at the table eating and we all in the South, we drink iced tea. So that was the one drink that we always had, the beverage that we always had with meals. Yeah. And I've just decided that I didn't want to drink tea because I just felt like maybe I just didn't want to quit caffeine at the time or I wanted to be, I was a little bit more health geared at this point and I wanted to just drink water. And so immediately that's questioned, even a small is really? a glass of water is questioned because like why, why aren't you drinking tea like maybe you should get a glass get her a glass of tea like she needs to drink tea like that kind of thing <laughs> and so yeah it's really minuscule uh -huh. things that they criticized whoa that would make me second guess a lot of things oh, yeah. if it's as small as like tea is pretty innocuous and so is water so 
that's an interesting right. an interesting <laughs> tipping point of being like oh why do you want to drink water and oh wow just because you wanted to be different and they felt they didn't like different every time i tried to be different it was shot down of no you have to be like everybody else you have to act the same way as every other kid that we have here which is you know different people we're all different people we're all different all my cousins are different everyone has different personalities but for some reason my personality just didn't mesh very well Ah. Uh. And you were the black sheep of 20. So the things that you're describing now are pretty innocent. I don't I don't want to drink tea. And even that could be as polarizing as, as something extreme. Wow. How long did you grow up in that environment? Let's see. In that household over, with over 20, I was until maybe 12 or... Well, no, I wouldn't say that. I would say maybe 14, 15. It wasn't until that age, maybe the, f the 15 to 16 range that they started, we started separating our ways. But even then I was still kind of wrapped up in the doer of good works and servitude, uh, servitude's a big one. So I guess if you were serving your family, that's what you did. And that's why I felt like on the lower tier of the spectrum that we had to do, we had to serve our family. And so by doing that, I was wrapped into oh, we feel like it's a decision to move. And so I don't know, it's this weird sense and I don't know how to describe it to you, but that moment where they say the higher ups of the spiritual hierarchy wanted to move and, and try new things. And so if you felt like you were asked upon to move as well with them, then you felt like it was really something special. Like, oh my gosh, you got asked to do something like with the higher spirituals. That means you must be spiritual too, which is so oh. sleek because it's just a move. But yeah. in my mind, that's not how I interpreted it. I thought, oh my gosh, this is a way for me to serve them and help them. And so I moved with them. And this was about in the years of 18, I think I was age 18 and I was in living in Missouri with them. And it was really just, you know, I was just wanting to serve them. I was going through finishing up school. Um, we were homeschooled and then just doing daily tasks like cleaning, um, organizing, going through things for people. It's just like any way I can serve my family members was what I was doing at the time. That's what I felt like I was called to do at the time. Ah, so for those that don't know that maybe haven't grown up in that environment from your own direct experience, could you give a sort of Cliff Notes version about what exactly your kind of Christian cult believed. Like what what were some of their tenets or do you mind explaining that a little bit? Yeah. So I would say you can label it as Protestant mm. and then they followed only the King James version of the Bible. So that was one thing we couldn't do. You don't read any other versions because right. the King James version was the only accurate version of the Bible. And then, so that's ridiculous because when you're a little kid and a, or smaller trying to understand the Bible, English, at least that kind of English is really hard to understand. But anyway, so <laughs> yeah. we didn't really understand the Bible, but it's you do the things, you follow the same moral expectations that you would expect from someone who believed in a God or the God from the Bible. So then good works, you know, serving, caring, being honest, you know, typical things that you would expect from a Christian. Mm, I would say so okay. pretty pretty standard okay it's so interesting when I read texts like that historical text the philosophy tends to be pretty neat it's hey love other people be kind of course there's a lot in there that I don't agree with but if I if I chisel that down to the core of that practice it seems to be pretty good Besides, you know, the fact that you're depending on something external from you for safety, I, I don't agree with that. But a lot of their other practices I do. And it's really interesting to me that someone can take a practice that sounds really beautiful and is like, hey, serving others, that's a, 
a core value of myself. I love serving others. I'm an energy healer. It's what propels me. It what energizes me. But seeing that someone can take that idea and manipulate other people into questioning their spirituality or their connection with their chosen deity, if that's God, if that's whatever, and also just manipulate people in that way of, hey, you're closer to the the hierarchy of spirituality because now we're going to move with us. So that's just... Uh, it's very manipulative, I think. you. That's, yeah. that's the correct word I'd use for it. Mm. Yeah. To have your life set up the way you want to. So then you manipulate others to then fit to what you expect and what you want in your life. So it's not having any regard for any individual's life. It's only your own based on your beliefs. So there's only one person's beliefs maybe. So it wasn't a freedom to have an opinion about it. Whoa. So you're, you're going on with your existence. You're around 18 at this time. You're not really allowed to have your own belief. So what happens then? When did you start noticing that this might be some cult sort of activity? Or when did you start expressing yourself? After that time when I was 18, I stayed there in Missouri for about a year. And then I got, in my mind, it was like kicked out. So then oh. I felt like I got done something wrong. But in reality, it was just probably circumstances that they can't afford to have me there. Or maybe there wasn't room or space because we were a lot of us were bunking under a pretty small house. It was so done in a way that had no respect for me or any care for me, which is crazy because this is your family and you would think they cared about you. But to give an example is I left, I had to leave so fast. Like they just said, you need to go. I didn't even pack up my things uh, or at least a Whoa. lot of my things that I had left there. And when I asked to have it sent to me, some things were missing. I didn't, I lost certain things along the way or the property that I had was damaged. And so it's like, okay, Why? I treat you so well and serve you and make sure everything that you own is taken care of and making sure you're respected and cared for. But yet you couldn't do the same for me. So that was the moment where I realized that maybe they didn't have the best intentions for my life. Whoa. And so after that, I kind of fell into a depression because I didn't know how to cope with it or how to understand it because of how I was raised. But after that year of depression, I would say that followed suit, I realized that that's not the way to live either like why am i because then i felt depression because of their reactions to me mm -hmm. and so i questioned well why why do i care if they don't care about me then why do i care so much to just ruin my day-to-day -day life based on their opinions mm -hmm. so that's when i snapped out of that and said okay i don't i just don't want to live my life this way i don't want to be depressed i don't want to care about them mm -hmm. i don't want to have them still infect my life even because they're not even around anymore mm -hmm. they're not living with me i'm not even seeing them or talking to them on a regular basis so why do they need to have such power and control over my life yeah i mean they conditioned you for 18 years of your yeah, life you true. know they indoctrinated you they manipulated you in that way so it does make sense of kind of still wanting their approval or recognition but what's really interesting, what stood out to me was that you mentioned that you seeking their approval, you seeking their kind of mutual respect is what led you into a depression. And it sounds like when you were able to understand that, hey, these people truly don't care about me, they care about themselves, then you were able to care more about yourself. And at the beginning of this conversation, you mentioned how service was a really high value for that. Do you think that 
you began to serve them for the majority of your life and had no experience in actually serving yourself. I know in a lot of Christian circles that service of self is like very, very secular. <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> um, so is, was that a new philosophy you had to begin understanding? That took some time. I don't think I ever thought of it that way. It was still, it was more of a transition between serving them as a family, but then transitioning that over to serving other people. So I still never really served myself and probably still took some time to even love myself in the way I should have to be able to love others correctly. But I did still hold on fast to I need to serve people. Like that was the way to find happiness and fulfillment in life was to serve other people. You mentioned it took you a while to love yourself. Is loving yourself, is that a no-no within the circles or is that just a common thing? I know sometimes I struggle to love myself and I have to return back to my heart center. and Hey, you're worthy of love, Greg. It's okay. But was that related or not related of loving your yourself? What wasn't really talked about to me before. So in my upbringing of Christianity, it's funny because that's in the Bible. It's like love yourself and love your neighbors. And we forget that first part that <laughs> mentioned. So how, cause yeah. how can we correctly understand how to love if we can't love ourselves? Because then we're distracted and we're causing ourselves harm mentally because of all of the negative things we say about us. So if we have this going on operating in our operating system, then how can we operate in genuine love to other people? So then I would say, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't something I was taught. I didn't understand that for a long time, but it's something that Christians should know and understand because like I said, to even show genuine love to other people, you have to love yourself and realize that you are worthy of love. And even in the Bible, it does talk about how Yahweh loves you. And so if Yahweh loves you, which is this entity that's higher than the highest of any entity in our realm and our existence, then why can't you love yourself? Wow. But you had to come to that realization on your own with your own meditations or whatever practice that you did? Yeah, a lot of researching. It was first a learning experience through other people. It was kind of just operating in terms of taking my positivity to the max, I would say, because I was never exposed to people outside of a few occasions, but majority of the time I didn't hold a job until I was 24. And so having a job at 24, that was when I truly got to experience other people. And then so I got to be positive around them. And so I was a positive impact to other people, but then I can kind of learn through each experience. So I was very curious. So if I can say there's a verb to describe me, it would be enthusiastically curious and that's what I lived a lot of my life starting out in those years and then gathering information and questioning things so because of my questioning nature and I met some people that had that same philosophy that I really truly began to understand these concepts and really create my own identity and my own belief system you weren't allowed to ask any sort of researching questions about your about the religion you used to no. hold. No, oh, not really? at all. <laughs> really, were they threatened by that or? I don't know. To this day, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even know. I guess because they're operating from their own learnt behavior based on their experiences. But I don't know why they would have such control or why they'd want that much control. But yeah, like again, if I questioned things, it was interpreted as backtalk. Mm. So then all of it's going to be negative and so they don't want negative like that's why i learned through my journey of even now getting back into meditation is a lot of anger came up and anger was something that was 
considered negative in my family. So no one can feel anger. It's like the Christian version of you need to be happy all the time or you're not really, you don't really believe in a God if you're not happy. Whoa. <laughs> so you can't be sad and you can't be angry. Uh-huh. So if, like, if you're crying, then don't cry anymore. Just be happy and smile. Whoa. <laughs> or you can't be mad because that could be really negative. And so you're of the devil if you're angry. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <Yeah>. My word. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. What do you think keeps people in that belief? Because you can't question things. It's something that I ponder a lot. You know, you can't question things and you might not have an answer for that. That's fine. But if you must be happy all the time, which is so incredibly emotionally taxing to force that. And if, you know, you have pretty much no agency, you're kind of depending on this outside entity for everything. Do you have any ideas? I mean, you spent 18 years in there of when you observed the hierarchy. Was it passion? Was it fear? Was it do you have any ideas? Yeah, I would say for me personally, it was ignorance because you're not exposed to what the world looks like outside of this environment. I I mean, that probably would be cases for a lot of cult-like environments is because you don't know anything else. You don't have any other experience to compare it to. Therefore, there's nothing to question in terms of is this even right or is this how people live their life? Because it just seemed normal to you. Uh, So I'd say that, yeah. Okay. Okay. And have you tried reaching back out to them? I mean, it sounds like a traumatic experience. There's no judgment if you don't. But have you tried to bring this new understanding that you've cultivated through your own research to those people? I still am in contact with certain of my favorites, say uncle or some certain family members. But in terms of the mass majority of them, I would say no, because through the grapevine of other family members, I do know that they realize the error of their ways and the mistakes that they made. So there is some awareness there, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to have a relationship with them because they may live different lives than me and I'm going in my own path and that's fine. I think everyone should grow apart and go their separate ways. And I wouldn't want to even bring that up either because it's just hashing things out that probably really won't change. Because when you get to a point of age especially I think it's even relevant today, you're set in a belief. And even if you bring solid evidence or truth to their awareness, then they're not going to really accept it because it doesn't compute with their understanding of how they've lived their life. So they're not going to change. I mean, you can, so I don't think it really helps the situation. That's where I come from it. Okay. Hey, you, you've lived with them for so long, so <laughs> you would know. In my own experience, if I'm not perfect, then I will be punished for an eternity and I am inherently evil and there's no way that I could do anything correct. And that was really, really disempowering for a huge portion of my life. I, similar to you, began discovering other things upon my research. But I asked you that question to, because it's a question I ponder a lot when I speak to my family that are still into that of how can I share with them that it's okay to research, it's okay to test out some beliefs that you may have. Yeah, I think that's really valid. And if they understood the Bible or maybe even actually read the text, like I feel they come from a perspective of they only pick and choose what they want to hear from the Bible. Because if you look in the Bible, Yeshua strictly talks about test me, ask questions. He never talks to his disciples or anyone asking questions that no, you shouldn't ask that question. 
he understands there has to be a sort of skepticism. I don't think you can truly believe in something if you're not skeptical of it first, because if you're skeptical, that's going to put a responsibility on you to find out that information. And if you were the one responsible for finding that information, then you're going to have a more likelihood of believing it because it came from you and not told by someone else outside of you. So that's a big one I think a lot of Christians miss. But yeah, it's like you experienced. I think that was talked about a lot with my upbringing too of there's this hell out there that should be feared that if you do the wrong thing, you would go to hell. Hell could have been a fear because it was discussed, but it wasn't always evident in my mind. One thing was evident and that was losing my salvation. So I was, which is crazy because if anyone knows the Bible, you don't lose your salvation. Once you you have it, you keep it. Because why, how would we have been saved anyway if we can just, Yahweh could just revoke your salvation? Could you explain what salvation means? So yes, salvation is when you come to a place where you accept Yahweh in your life. So God for people in the Bible would be, you maybe have never heard of him before, or maybe you question things. And then when you start to accept maybe his philosophy in life um, and his way of living, then you can ask for that to save your soul in a sense of, I accept this for you to take over my life and take control. And then he gives that freely when asked. So when you ask for it, that's when you're saved and you have that salvation. So then anything that you would have done, at least in my upbringing, it's, it's when you're saved, you are you don't have fault. You can maybe sin, but then you're never going to be judged for that sin because that sin is essentially non-existent to him. That's just something that happens and then is forgotten. Not to say that that gives us an excuse to keep sinning because we'll always be forgiven. It's just that there you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to force yourself to be perfect because no one's going to be perfect. And I think Yeshua would say he realizes that because he doesn't expect anyone to do that. So to say you can just remove, revoke that when you've chosen to be have God in your life just goes against the doctrine of the Bible, if that makes sense. I don't know if I explained that. I, I'm thinking on it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hmm. So Yeshua has has saved you. You've asked for that entity into your life. After that's irrevocable, you can't then be damned. Right. When, okay. Yeah. Because you're supposed to be washed in the blood of his sacrifice. So he, Yeshua, sacrificed his life for you. And that once you ex- accept him into your life, then you're covered in that. And you're essentially his children. And so he looks out for you. So that's why I feel like it's so ridiculous when I can come to my family who believe this, or I've thought they did, but then to say, oh, if you do one more bad thing then you're damned for eternity. Uh, and that's a crazy way to live, to have that hanging over your head. Yeah, when you're already supposed to be saved. Ah, now it makes sense. Okay. So it sounds like you still believe in a Yeshua. Yeah. Okay. I would say, yeah, Yeshua. I mean, people would call him Jesus, but I just feel like it's inaccurate. And if if your name is actually, if you're talking about the Hebrew Bible here, his name is Yeshua. So then why would you not call him anything but his name that he was born with? We just in terms of the whole, you know, Catholic and English transition everything over and, you know, all that stuff changed the Bible and the the words and everything. But I would still believe in that entity. And then also Yahweh, which is what people call God, but he was called Yahweh in the Bible, which means the creator of all things. 
Okay. Okay, so there is a Yahweh, creator of all things, universe, and there is Yeshua, which is, is that still his son? Yeah, I would say okay. yes. Okay. So a son, and then of course you have the Holy Spirit. So it's still three separate entities that are working uh, in your favor when you, I guess, accept that way of living. Cool. So this is really interesting. So you still believe in kind of the core of what Christianity was trying to say, but you don't adopt the new sort of story or paradigm around being damned. If you make a mistake, you're still allowed to research other things. You're allowed to meditate. A lot of Christians that I know aren't allowed to meditate. So it sounds like you have a lot more freedom. You also still believe that we all have our beliefs and it's really brave and courageous for you to share yours. And now I know of two more names, Yeshua and Yahweh and the Holy Spirit. Is the the Holy Spirit still the Holy Spirit? Cool. Considered spirit or Holy Spirit, yeah. Okay. One huge problem that I've had with at least Protestants and Baptists is I feel though there's a lack for reverence and respect for the female polarity. So within your own relationship with the divine, is there any room for the feminine polarity within Yeshua and Yahweh and the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Oh, so that's cool. even talked in the Bible. Oh, and really? so again, with the transition of the overrun of the Catholics and transition of the Roman church and everyone changing the Bible to really display a meaning that they want, an agenda that they want, and that actually happened. And that's why I question the Bible, because there are a lot of things written in the Bible that aren't inaccurate. So you have to be aware that that's going on and what is the underlying agenda of those those topics. But in the Bible, though, women are revered. There is even a couple of women who are very high up or even disciples But because that wasn't looked good on the Catholics and what they wanted, because they don't believe women should have a place of spiritual leadership in the church. So they switched the names or they took out characters in the Bible so they wouldn't be talked about. So you didn't know about them. And yeah, that's women were very prominent in the church at that time, especially around Yeshua's time where they were talking the tabernacles and the synagogues and, and they would be around the disciples. And they would do great things. I mean, there's different Bible stories. Of course, you have Esther and you have Deborah and you have those people who are actually, like Deborah, for instance, going out to war. So there's a lot of great, strong female women that have done great things at that time and would be considered spiritual leaders. Oh, whoa. Would I have to translate the Hebrew? How did you find out what you know? Yeah, it's research. You would want to compare transcripts, you know, look at the Septuagint. You want to look... Yeah, the Greek Septuagint, that was pretty used back at that time. So a little bit more accurate translation. Also look at Bible scholars, honestly. A lot of people who are even atheists now are Bible scholars, are really, really great Bible scholars that I learned a lot from because they come with skepticism and they can really dive deep into the evidence and pull what is actually historically accurate in in terms of words and phrases of understanding the languages themselves. Because even like I talked about with the Hebrew language, there's some nuances in terms of how Hebrews categorize leadership roles. So with with certain names, they even show that if the name is listed first, then that person is someone to be noted, like they were prominent. 
And if they're second, then maybe they're not so much. But that's it's like they have a system. Hebrew is very systematic. And so when you look at the original text that way, you can see those those names and the categories that they follow. Yeah. But then in other versions are switched. So then they don't have that same meaning. So you mentioned if a name is first, it means a certain thing. And if a name is second, what is... Yeah, it's like showing a hierarchy of leadership. Like if this person is prominent and is notable, like like I said, for instance, with the female, is that their name, one one name was changed. It was changed from a feminine name to a masculine name. So then people would know it was a female. Oh, what? And then two, yes, they they would structure names of a couple of people. So a male and a female, but... It was a female listed the name first, then the male name. Not, but then they switched it in the Bible to, or at least some versions of the Bible, to where the male's name was first and the female's name was second. Oh. Which is very notice, notable if you know how language is set up and how the Hebrews have it structured where if you name someone first, then they have more prominence in, in that realm. You're blowing my mind. <laughs> Whoa. It's good to know that there are prominent and strong and role model women that are in this version and it's sad to hear that it was manipulated out what about within the deities themselves there's sounds like so there's some really great female role models and actual living beings but within the holy spirit yeshua and yahweh do they have a female counterpart do they have anything like that that's a good question i wouldn't say based on what you'd read from the Hebrew Bible, at least not that I've found yet, that there would be an influence or a femininity of the spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is neutral. It's neither masculine or feminine. Non-binary. And then, yeah. And then Yeshua obviously would have would be male because that's what he was born and to deserve to be. So in terms of if you're talking about in reference in his life, then obviously he would be male. In terms of Yahweh, I don't know if anyone would describe them as being male or female. To me, and just my own belief on it, I don't think that's even a relevance. I don't think you should worry if Yahweh is male or female. I think it's just an entity that is above the highest light and love in the world. So do we need to put a label of masculine or feminine on it? Oh, that's illuminating. I'm glad you explained that out because at first I was like, oh, it's just like, it's like three dude energies. <laughs> like, I, I'm not down with that. <laughs> but... Now, from hearing you speak, it's like two non-binary energies and that came together to form a male, and that male seemed probably necessary in that time because the people were manipulating the energy anyway to disrespect females and kind of glorify the masculine presence. Yeah, it had to be a masculine presence because if you look at some of the stories in the Bible of how Yeshua interacted with women, he was the first, especially coming from a Jew, and you have a lot of racial differences between different sects in the in the stories and you can you realize that he was that one person that really extended the hand of love and care for these people who were because they were different especially because they were women they should be denied access to things that males had access to and so he was someone who introduced women into his fold and into his company when a lot of times a lot of men didn't do that oh wow Wow, I love this. You're painting a, a whole 
open, different picture than what I've heard from from Christianity in the past. So, wow, thank you cool. for well, this. Cool, I'm happy to yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so sometimes I, it's funny because a part of me is like, no labels, just freedom, just flow. <laughs> but at the same time, when we define something, it helps me understand it a lot better. So you're not like any Christian that I've met before. With the practices that you do, do you call yourself anything? Like if people are interested in these practices, could they be like, oh, I'm a Hebrew-ite or like, what would, what would you call? Right. That's a really great question. So uh, I wouldn't call myself a Christian. Okay. A lot of people understand that. And if for people who don't maybe know any other type or know their Bible very well, then Christian is okay for them. But for <laughs> me, based on what I've heard of some of the language interpreted back in the past, being a Christian wasn't really interpreted in the best sense. It was more of a, I would say, an insult in some cases back in, oh. in that time. So I would say I'm a follower of the way. And mm. the way is what Yeshua taught and what he would say. He's like, follow me, I will show you the way. The way is a, the way is the truth and the light. So we're going to the light and we're, we want to ex experience love in our life and have the utmost love for people. How do we get there? We follow the way that was set before us. And so I would say I'm a follower of the way or I have a faith. That would be what I would describe to people. That oh, is. Cool. I, I'm many things, but one of the things I am is I'm a Taoist. And as a Taoist, that's what we talk about, that the Tao is cool. the way. Yeah, so cool. that's really cool to hear you yeah. mention the same thing. Like, I'm a follower of the way. Yeah. Wow. Because I think it's all interconnected. And I heard this great quote from Einstein. I think he said, where a lot of these different types of religion is just branches of the same tree. Mm. So I feel like the more you start to see them connect with other religions and other different types of deities and what their characteristics are, I think they are getting that information from the same light source. And I feel like that's what's most true. And we get boggled down by people's agenda and what they try to push and what they want to box things into be. But if you can look outside of that, you realize that it's really all connected. Uh, one thing that I need some additional clarity on is you mentioned that Yeshua, Yahweh, now these two, now that I know these two energies better, basically these androgynous, beautiful energies of love that they save us. So I'm all about empowerment. I'd love for you to flesh that out a little bit more. How is the interaction between us and them energies for us to accept that way into us? Is it a pledge? Is it a, my, I give my life to you? How did you begin following the way? Was it just a decision? Yeah, I think it all has to be a decision because I think we can all be born into these different types of faiths. Mm -hmm. But we really will not follow unless we do the research and take responsibility for our decision. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people want to teach you this way, that way. I mean, there's a lot of different types. Um, but in terms of your choice in it, I think it's coming from your understanding and saying, I actually do believe this. I think all these characteristics or even having that higher self outside of me to have a model for, to really experience love for yourself, but then love others and experience a bigger love than I think we can even understand here in our current present state. And so being able to reach for that and have that example in your life is why someone would choose to follow the way. Because it is the ultimate, I think the ultimate light in the world and the ultimate way of having a understanding of what love could look like and having that unconditional love. 
Ooh. Oh, that's one of my, you touched on my well, absolutely <laughs> favorite word, unconditional love. That's the way. Yeah. And oh, I love that a lot. Oh, love again. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. So it's not us following or, or needing salvation given to us. It's us beginning to walk that path and beginning for us to decide to follow the way that makes it a way, the way. Oh. Absolutely, yeah. Accepting it into your life to say, hey, I actually believe what you say is true. If you're a person that believes in truth, then you want to be able to have that in your life. Then accepting that presence and that direction, then you're going to be able to experience a better way of living. So a higher, like we talk a lot about this, but a higher level of function in this world, higher vibration. Yeah. How do we achieve that? And we have a great example to do that through his way. Oh, wow. I have some word associations for you that I'd oh, yeah. love to pick your brain about. We talked a lot about love. We talked a lot about unconditional love. So actually, this one's more of a in the sentence. I love others by blank. First loving myself. Oh, 100%. Like we talked wow. about this earlier, but I just think it's so crucial for you to understand how to love yourself because, again, we're not perfect people. We might do the wrong things in our minds, which may or may not be that drastic, but to give yourself unconditional love, to say, no matter what I've gone through or no matter what I've done, I can still have love for myself. And I think when you can understand that, then you realize that same imperfectness in other people. And you can say, I still love you despite that. Mm, wow, that is powerful. I wasn't expecting that. I, I love others by first unconditionally loving myself. That gives you the lens to unconditionally love others because we're often our worst critics and harshest judges. So the feat of loving oneself makes the opportunity to love someone else that much more useful. Absolutely. I like yeah. that. That's great. When you hear the word greatness does that does that come from a certain place hard do what does it feel like what does it taste like do you get any colors when you think of greatness where does that originate it's funny the first word that came into my mind when i think of greatness is humble mm. which the reason i say that is because in my mind in order to be great you have first have to be humble because people can be great but if they don't have that humbleness of, yeah, because anyone can be great. I, f I feel like from that perspective, one person being great to say, oh, yeah, I'm the greatest is not really true and accurate because everyone has the potentiality to be great. And so if you can still be great and maybe have skills or characteristics that are very valuable to people, but being very humble about that, I think is a greatness quality. Oh, whoa. Speak on it. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> oh, greatness comes from humility, being able to hold that. Yeah. I like that. When you hear the word wisdom, does oh, yeah. a color come to mind? Does a feeling come to mind? I think a lot of things come to mind in colors or animals. Cause I think a lot of people can experience wisdom as owls, and I know a lot of people mm. probably say that. But in terms of a word, I would say experience. Because I feel like in order to have that wisdom, you would first have to have the experience to have that knowledge to be able to be wise about the things that 
you would know. You know, it's not coming from an external source of someone just, it's not just given to you. It's not things you're just learning, but it's things you actually experience and go through. And therefore you can speak about it in a, in a way that is truly wise. Mm. So f- touching back on the beginning of your journey, you had this experience of growing up in the cold environment that you did. And now, how do you feel about that now? What wisdom have you gained? We kind of talked about this a little bit, but as you mentioned and explained how you view wisdom, are you thankful to that experience? Are you, do you think it could have been, do you think you could have the wisdom that you have today without that experience or? Absolutely not. I don't regret any of it. Like I said, I had a really great childhood. I really thought it was carefree in a lot of ways because we, I didn't have, like I said, I didn't have that outside exposure. I didn't have pressures or other people and experiencing their way of living. So it was very simplified. So when it's simplified, you just have nothing to worry about in life. And so that's besides, of course, the judgment of your family, which is what you idolize. But outside of that, it was pretty carefree. And looking back on it, I would say you learn the qualities you are. And I wouldn't have been able to create who I am today without that. So it's, you know, forgiving them for the wrongs that they create in your life, forgiving yourself one for putting so much pressure on you and and forgiving yourself for maybe some of the things that maybe you did do wrong, but then knowing that it just leads you to a greater sense of self and just growing your capacity to be able to love yourself more, love others more, speak into other people's lives in a way from an understanding perspective, and just, again, showing having an opportunity to show that love to other people, even though I don't maybe agree with what you're doing or maybe I don't agree with how you treated me, I still love you despite that. And that's ability to free yourself from that pressure Mm, love as a freedom Mm -hmm. you know you're saying so many things that just sit on my heart in such a cozy way Mm -hmm. it reminds me of strength really like hearing you speak i think it takes a lot of strength to forgive those that harm us so i want to commend you on doing that that's an inspiration to me and just to see where you are now is 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 really beautiful yeah it's really exciting yeah as this person, as the one that follows the way, mm-hmm. um, you might have an identity, you might be free of identity, but if you had to finish the sentence, what would you say to, my identity comes from what? We talk about it again a lot, oh. but I have to say love again. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, I just think it encompasses everything. Because I think identity comes from characteristics. And so I think if you can have one of your characteristics can be the ability to show love and experience love in your life and reactions with other people, then I think, yeah, I think that's a great identity to have. Uh-huh. And so that's why I like to focus on. Oh, wow. I like that. I resonate with it. <laughs> I feel it. It's palpable just in your presence. So that's really great. I have one last one here. I connect by, and before you answer, connect could be, any, it could be to anything. It doesn't have to be like, I connect to love. I connect to people. Just what the first thing that pops into your mind when you hear, I connect by, just flow with that. I like that you prefaced it that way because then it opens it up to more. Because I was more focused on just people because that's how you experience uh, life. You just connect with people. Yeah. But if I connect with anything, I guess this would still apply. I would say listening. Because mm. I would say not... Oftentimes, I'm good at listening in the way I could, but I think listening to yourself, giving yourself space, listening to your environment, so being 
intuitive and then listening to others because I think that's really important for other people to be able to be that person that's going to take the time to listen to other people's problems or their perspective, you know, making sure that they're heard. I think all of it is, I would say, is more connecting to everything, being able to, to do that. Yeah. I like that. I connect by listening. And that seems to be a receptive state. Often when I think of connection, I can think of, I did this act, I did this, I did that. But listening is so receptive and so peaceful. And to hear that that's how you connect, listen to your body, listen to others, listen to the environment, see if that's a good environment for you. Mm -hmm. That's also a powerful place to be. The name of this podcast is called Native Awakenings, and you've touched on something just super marvelous. So what has the practice of listening or any other practice that you've been doing of following the way awakened within you there was a certain trajectory that your life was going on and you found the way and you began to listen to your heart listen to your environment listen to others what did that awaken an understanding that it's okay to be different and it's okay to ask questions i think as long as i can remember to always question everything then I know I'll find my answers because I think we're always going to be given the things that we need to in life to get to that next step of understanding. And so I like that process. And that's something that's been really significant in my life and continues to make an impact on my life. So the more I can question things, even if it's something so insignificant, the fact that I can question it maybe gives me the opportunity to learn more and have a better understanding of the things and how the, how you operate in life and how the world operates. Yeah. It's awakened a curiosity. Curiosity, yes, Oh, cool. Wow, I like that a lot. Well, there's someone out there in this beautiful planet that's listening and that's really resonated with this door. I've learned so much. Like, you've given me homework here. I'm going to research some stuff. (laughs) But I have one last request of you. And... Is there any piece of advice that you'd just love to give to the universe or maybe to a past version of yourself back when you were 18 and living in that space and could really use the perspective that you have now? Or to your future self, do you have anything in this moment that you'd like to to give to someone else? I think trusting yourself because this is more in relation to how I was struggling when I was growing up because I felt like I was so trapped in this box and I couldn't get out and I didn't at the time see that I could or there was a potentiality of me getting out but trusting that you'll get the answers that you seek so again we talk about the questioning so I know that as long as I have the ability to question and seek out information that I maybe don't know or just seek out help or assistance from other people that's going to be able to get me to that next step and really just trusting that process that you'll get there in the way you need to because we go through our journeys in the way we need to in order to develop the person we want to become or maybe need to become to the universe maybe we need to impact the universe in only a way we can by going through this experience or this journey so as long as i can trust that process i think i'll be okay nice oh that's it be curious trust yourself the answers are going to come with those questions might take some time yeah (laughs) cool cool well awesome thank you so much do you have any outros that you like to say be amazing (laughs) I like it. Be amazing. The spirit animating my body honors, values, appreciates, respects, and unconditionally loves the spirit animating your body. 
follow the way. Namaste. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. That was 